so we're in Philippians, which if you haven't been with us the first few weeks of this series, it's a powerful one. This is a powerful letter, about 100 verses, so not very long, but it's the heart of a pastor and church planter and a man who preached the gospel that we just heard about and observed on that video, a man who believed it with every fiber of his being that changed his life and the trajectory of his eternal future, and he was thrown in jail for preaching that gospel. He had chains on him. He lost his freedom because he was free in Christ. And out of his heart, he writes a letter to a church called Philippi, showing them that they have that same powerful gospel entrusted to them. They are free in Christ. And he's the most free, the most joyful, the most happy man in Rome, even though he's currently in prison as he writes that. So this is the context. When we get to our text for today, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. You see, Paul started out his letter praising God. He's so full of the joy of the Spirit, he doesn't even bother talking about his circumstances for the first part of the letter, and, and everyone's on the edge of their seat. Paul, we kind of reached out to you. We sent you a love gift because we're concerned about you. How are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm too busy praising Jesus. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. And so that's where we find ourselves today. And to help us picture what is going on here, as he frames his suffering in light of the gospel, it's tied in perfectly with, with this book I've been listening to on, on Audible. It's called Rembrandt is in the Wind. Have you heard of it? So I am not an artsy guy. Okay, so sculpture, paintings, going to an art gallery, that's not my thing. But I'm learning I need to, to stretch into that because there's a whole lot that art can teach us about life and the gospel and the beauty of God's creation and what he's doing. And so in this book, Rembrandt is in the Wind by Russ Ramsey, he's talking about famous artists and their work of art throughout history because art is a reflection of what's going on in the life of the artist. And in all of these artists, sculptors, you name it, their art reflects the torment of their soul. Either they're an unbeliever who doesn't know God, striving for perfection, like Michelangelo and his perfect creation of David, that soul. He's, he's striving towards perfect humanity, look for it, but he's not going to find it, not through something he can make with his hands. But one artist stuck out to me because his name was Caravaggio. He was an Italian painter in the late 16th century. And Caravaggio was different than the painters that had come before him because he started to give a sharp contrast between the beauty of biblical uh, uh, characters like St. John the Baptist. That, that was not different from the artists before him. But what was different about Caravaggio is he lost the halos. And he ex accentuated the contrast. He used shadows to really bring out what the character is wrestling with, what they're doing. So I put up an example here, St. John the Baptist in the wilderness. You might think of St. John the ba Baptist like a bold, you know, joyful, preaching the gospel. Here he shows he often spent lonely time in the wilderness. He was rejected by main society. He ate, I mean, he ate locusts and honey. I, and he had you know, long hair. He was totally different than everyone else. So here he is, kind of reflecting that raw uh, nature of, of what he's going through. And that stuck out to me because when we get to our passage today, Paul wants us to look at what's really most important. What's going on? What's the light on? Yes, it's 
Jesus. It's the gospel. It's God's kingdom and his work on earth as it is in heaven. But he does point out the shadows. He does talk to us about the trouble and the trials we go through in life. Our focus is not on the trials, but the trials bring a depth and a third dimension to the person and work of Christ that brings such joy to our hearts. We can't ignore it. And this is how we find joy in the shadows. So I'm going to read Philippians 1 verses 12 through 18. And maybe you identify with some of the struggles that Paul was going through. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Sorry, I lost my place there. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking they're going to afflict me in my imprisonment. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Can you echo that sentiment with the Apostle Paul? Yes, I will rejoice today. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Okay, then how do we find joy in the shadows of life? First of all, verse 12, Paul points out, Remember that trials are meant to display the power of the gospel. There's a reason we suffer in this world. Ultimately, because we have sinned. We have broken God's law. We rejected his way of living. He did not create us in suffering. We chose that path. And we're paying the consequences for that. But that's what makes the gospel so powerful. God's love and light breaks through where there previously was no hope in all the hopeless places. So what trial is Paul facing? Well, he's in prison. That's his shadow. Humanly speaking, he's in a mess. He's in jail. He's got chains around him. This isn't the first time he's been put in prison for sharing the gospel. This is a pattern through his life. And he doesn't have freedom. There's probably a 50-50% uh, chance that he is going to die for his faith. His fate is in the hands of Rome, and Rome was not friendly to Christians. They weren't even friendly to Jews. Jews who were not believers, but believed in a God and a law, and Rome was lawless. So they rejected any notion of God telling them what to do. So if you're in the Philippian church and you're reading this, you want to know how Paul's doing? You want to know what his daily struggle is? What, what are your limits, Paul? Like, How can we pray for you? He says, hey... I could go on and on about that, but I want you to know something. God has turned this for good. He uses a word there. Uh, in, in my translation, uh, the English Standard Version, uh, it's translated really served. Or maybe your translation says rather or instead from the Greek word malone. He says it's all about advantage. You see, you might think that Rome has taken advantage of me. Oh, no. In a twist that only God can do. He is working my imprisonment out for good. It's for his advantage. The gospel is advancing. I might be chained, but the message is not. And he uses that word unhindered. 
effective, advancing. It's a perfect tense, which means that the gospel is advancing even to this moment. Perfect means there's a state of, of completion now with future, uh, future benefits from it. So he says the gospel is advancing now, but even if I were to die today, even if I were to get sentenced, the gospel goes forward. There's no stopping it, which is saying something because he was under guard by the imperial, imperial guard. So who, who are these guys? The Praetorians. Caesar's household. I mean, these are the guys that keep an eye on the emperor of Rome. Pretty big deal. These are the best of the best, the elite. Paul's not going anywhere if they have any say about it, right? So, so what are you going to do? How, how are you going to resist that kind of government that's got such a stranglehold on you? Paul says, I know. I have a captive audience. I'm going to preach the gospel. They're chained to me. I might as well tell them how they can have eternal life and joy. So it's the prisoner preaching joy and hope to the guards. If that's not crazy enough, why is that? It's because the gospel is power. Paul says in Romans 1, 16 to 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. It might cost me my life, but I'm not ashamed. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Greek, even to these Roman guards. I added that part in, okay? Just, but I'm, I'm showing you how far this goes, right? For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Gospel's power. In fact, um, the word for power in Romans 1 is, is uh, what? Dunamis, I think is how it's pronounced. Dunamis. Later, that word uh, was used for dynamite, an explosive power. Now, Paul didn't know dynamite, okay? He's not saying the gospel blows people up, but the gospel is power. I'm not held captive here. I'm right where God wants me. And the gospel goes through chains, through prison doors, across the Red Sea. God's kingdom is on the move. And Paul knew this better than anyone because he met Jesus. The chains of sin were taken away from his heart. Do you know Paul's story? He used to fight God, throw Christians in prison, approved of their executions. He used to be in the place of these Roman guards. He used to be a captor. But found out he was actually captive to his own sin. And then Jesus met him on the road. And it's like he was talking to, you know, like, like some little kid. Hey, come home. It's time for dinner. <laughs> it's like, hey, you've been persecuting my people long enough. You're persecuting me long enough. Come and follow me. Let's go. And just like that, Christianity's biggest opponent was saved and transformed. And now he's the, he's, he's the loudest missionary of them all to the Gentile people. And he's telling his captors and he's telling us, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it because the gospel goes forward. I don't know what trial you're going through right now. I do know that some of our church people have really been struggling with some sicknesses, with some health and children, with some financial hardships, with, with just the busyness and the hecticness and the pull of the world. I know we're all burdened for the direction of our country <laughs> and, and how it is that Christians can get persecuted so quickly for speaking truth about life and and sexuality and the family. Look at Tony Dungy. I mean, they, they wanted to fire him overnight for one tweet. This is the world that we live in. But Paul says, don't focus on the pain and suffering. Focus on the Savior. He's worth it. Yeah, there'll be pain. But I have joy despite the pain. 
Would you rather suffer for Jesus and have his joy, or you can suffer like the unbelievers. They have hardship because of their sin, and yet there's no purpose. They have no future. They have no hope. They have no eternal life. Please, please put me in with Jesus. I want him. I need his joy. So what if in 2023 is our point of application? If God wants to bring revival to our community, to our nation, to our churches, what if we saw thousands of people come to faith in Christ and get baptized, but it required that we first start out in the cancer unit? What if we had to first stand in the unemployment line? What if we had to spend some time in the hospital, in prison? What if you get an eviction notice? Are we willing to say, like Paul, Lord Jesus, you're my joy. Whatever it takes, advance the gospel through me and my family. I would be honored to suffer for you because Jesus, I know you're worth it. Your check's always cleared, as, as the video said. Another way that we find joy in the shadows of life is to remember our faith impacts other people. Look at verses 13 to 14. It became known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Not only to the imperial guard, but most of the brothers. Now they're much more bold to speak the word without fear because I'm in jail. Because I'm in jail, they're bold to proclaim Christ. And what happens most times when we experience hardship? Our initial reaction, why does this always happen to me? Why do I always get the short end of the stick? Man, I can't catch a break. Why does this happen? We, we look internally, it's, it's the natural human reaction. We all do it. But if we remember, that a trial is an opportunity to, to show the beauty of Christ, the gospel, what he's done for us, then we also know, okay, if I step forward in faith here, that will help other people see the beauty of the gospel. Our actions have consequences, and they can have good consequences, stirring up the faith of others or pointing people to Jesus. The whole imperial guard, you know how many people it is? It's about 9,000. He says, whole imperial guard. It's about 9,000 Praetorians. And he said, to all the rest. So who are we talking about? Officials, citizens, employees around the, uh, the prison system, whatever that looked like where Paul was. And then he points out the brothers. The brothers also have boldness. You know, Paul had a lot of reasons, humanly speaking, to be bitter about his situation. Anyone here ever been bitter because of a trial before? I certainly have. I'll put both hands up. Been bitter, been frustrated, been upset. God, this is what I signed up for. But as I've walked with Jesus and I've seen kind of the longer curve of some of the trials and suffering in my life, I've seen people do notice when we still come to church on Sunday, we say, I praise Jesus. They still notice when we're digging into the word and we say, my joy is anchored here and nowhere else. People notice when we ask for prayer for something and that prayer gets answered and God provides and we say glory be to God. That is an awesome thing. How God can work through someone like me and even my little trial to point someone to Jesus. Paul was filled with joy and that joy overflowed to many, many others. You know, church planting has stretched me and probably has stretched a lot of you in our core group. 
outside your comfort zone, having to set up, having to walk by faith, knowing that evangelism is not just an event, it's a lifestyle, it's a, it's a way that we reach our neighbors continually for Christ. Why do we do it? Why go through all this effort? Why not just close down shop, go to another church down the road? Because we're going to reach more people for Jesus Christ by starting this church. We're going to reach future generations of disciples, and they're going to make disciples because there's another gospel witness in this community. That's why. That's our why. Because people in North Sarasota need Jesus. That's why we're here. We were, uh, we were eating dinner the other night at a, at a chicken place, and they had on the TV uh, an MMA fight. I don't do MMA. I don't. <laughs> I think it's, it's violent, and my boys already do enough of that around the house. I don't, I don't need that up on the screen, but I'm trying to explain it to them how it works and, you know, what are the rules of engagement and all that stuff, and who should they cheer for? It, it, was, it was an interesting discussion, and it reminded me of uh, the great boxer Mike Tyson. He says, everyone has a plan. Until what? Until somebody punches you in the face. Yeah, exactly right. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. It made me think. Christians, we get punched in the face. Maybe it's physically. Maybe it's metaphorically or symbolically. What do we bleed when we get punched in the face? If we bleed Jesus, if we bleed the gospel, that's different. That's different than the world. You can punch me, but as I give my life to Jesus, I show his grace to others. That's exactly what Paul did. And that courage multiplied to others, to the brothers and the sisters, ordinary people in the church saying, hey, if Paul can stand up for Jesus in the prison, he's already been beaten, what's my excuse? I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid I'm going to get made fun of by people. I'm afraid I'll, I'll get put in prison. Great, I'll join Paul. We'll start a church in prison. Okay, It just it stirred up this boldness that was from another planet. So they grab their friends and they're going and they're having gospel conversations. Just the other day, I'm walking on, on the campus of New College, Florida with Donnie. And we just felt led of the Lord. Let's go talk to people. Let, let's offer to pray. Let's share our story. Let's look to stir up a gospel conversation. God worked through that. It was awesome. But I got to tell you, be proud of Donnie. He just starts sharing his story. He starts connecting with people, just, just sharing the gospel. And he emboldened me. He gave me courage to speak up more boldly and to reach that next person on the sidewalk. Two people going together or more, we stir each other up. I'll tell you what, I love this church family. And when we gather together, when we scatter together, when we gather for small groups, when we go out evangelizing together on Saturday morning, when we go together, there's boldness for the gospel. I encourage you all, not just Saturday, but come on Saturday, but every day throughout the week. Remember how your faith encourages others to step up for the gospel. Here's the final point Paul gives us. How do we have joy in the trials? We remember our why. He says in verses 15 to 18, a, a sad reality of Christianity. That some Christians get joy out of kicking each other when they're down. It's a sad reality, but it's true. Some people, whether it's jealousy towards uh, the platform of others, whether it's personality differences that, that go into overdrive, might be sin, <laughs> just letting sin fester and bitterness fester. But some people decide to pounce 
on their brothers and sisters in Christ when they're down. So here's Paul in prison, suffering for the Lord, getting word. You know, there's some people in Rome and the surrounding areas that are like, yeah, Paul's in prison. That guy's so cocky. He thinks he's winning everybody to Jesus. Well, look at us. We're going to go out. We're going to reach more people for Jesus than Paul did. Just selfish, self-centered, proud. If I had pastored those people and poured my lives into those people, I'd be heartbroken. I might even wonder, why am I doing this whole ministry thing? People aren't grateful. They don't, they don't return the love. Why do we do it? Paul says, it's because of Jesus. It's for God's glory. It's not about me. So you know what? They're bitter at me. They want to do this to get back at me. Hey, as long as the gospel's going forward, okay. All right, Lord. I mean, it's a hit to my pride. It, 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 it hurts because they're kicking me when I'm down. But you know what, Lord? Your will be done. As long as your kingdom advances, I'm okay with it. And he avoids this whole victim mentality that is so common and easy to embrace. You know the victim mentality? I mean, this, is, this is an actual, if you were to look up online, you know, psychologists will tell you victim mentality is, is a thing. And here's what it looks like. Here's some of the things. No one appreciates me or no one listens to me. No one sees how hard I work. I cannot believe so-and-so would treat me this way. Implying we deserve better. Why doesn't anyone appreciate me? I've worked so hard. In fact, I've put more into this than anyone else. You can just hear it in the tone. It's subtle, but it's there. I focus on me. I focus on what I feel like I've earned because I've put in my time for Jesus, because I've put in my time serving people. Church, look at me. We don't deserve anything but eternity and hell. That's what I deserve. If I'm going to get up here and say, here's what I deserve, that's what I deserve. But God showed me grace. Can we show these selfish people anything less? Show them grace. And by our patient perseverance in the gospel, maybe we'll show them a better way of living. Hey, I'm glad you're sharing the gospel, but you know, because we're sharing it out of selfish ambition, you're missing out on eternal rewards. Jesus doesn't reward you if your heart is not aligned with what you're doing. Or his, I'm sorry, his heart aligned with what we're doing. We're not a victim. We signed up for this when we followed Jesus. So as long as the gospel goes forward, that's a win for the kingdom. Even if I have to suffer loss, even if our church has to suffer loss, and I pray for Living Hope Church to be an authentic community of devoted followers of Jesus where we truly love God above all and we're willing to put the needs of others above our own, even if it costs us. So what does that look like for us today? Well, what if we pray for revival and for this church to reach thousands for Christ, but God says, I'm going to send revival to the church down the street. Would we still rejoice and say, Team Jesus, amen. What if he sends revival in Ohio instead of Florida? Mm, team Jesus for the kingdom. What if you disciple somebody and you pour your life into them and they turn their back on you? Or they're just like, you know, I'm going to go to the church down the street because I like their music better. <clears throat> for the kingdom. God, as long as the gospel goes forward. Now, here's, here's a harder one. 
What if somebody walks into our church and they love living hope, but they say, the reason I left my other church is because someone was a jerk to me. I, I don't like this one thing that they said. We want people in our church, but do we take the opportunity to say, hey, that might be a good opportunity to go back and try to be reconciled with the brother and sister in Christ. Oh, but that means we don't have as many people in our seats. It's about the kingdom. It's not about how many people are in our seats. Never has been, never will be. By God's grace, we're counting wins, even if it doesn't benefit us, because it's not about us. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty six, from him, through him, and to him belong all things. To him be glory forever. And when we remember our why, I have my joy. It's from Jesus. And no one can take that away from you. That's the freeing thing. You might be like, oh, we're suffering loss. You know, people are taking advantage of us. No, not at all. I'm perfectly content in Jesus. No one can touch that. The fruit of the Spirit is Fort Knox in my heart. The Spirit's got a hold of me. Praise God for that. Now, in conclusion, church family, we, we, we like Paul, need to recognize that, that trials hurt. They're hard. They're the shadows that surround us and, and seem like they're going to swallow us on our journey to follow Jesus. And that's why I think it's so important that we have a church community here for us. And we're here for one another to walk with each other through these trials. Praying for each other, loving each other, serving each other. Because life is hard and messy. What happens when we start getting thrown in prison for our beliefs? Are we like Philippi? Going to check in on Paul? Going to write? Going to give gifts? Going to make sure they're taken care of with food? Are we a church that's there for one another? Trials are real. Let's not sugarcoat them. But we can find joy in the shadows of life. We can and we will. I will rejoice. Because we remember that trials display the power of the gospel. We remember that our faith impacts others. And we remember our why. Why we're here. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're here this morning and you needed to hear exactly this because you're going through some stuff. We want our church to be a place of prayer. Prayer for all people. You don't just listen to somebody talk about a relationship you could have with God, but you can actually relate to God and connect with them right here in this place. So our worship team is going to come up and they're going to, they're going to play softly and quietly and we're going to have a time of prayer. You can talk to God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him personally. That, that good news was new to you. Putting my faith in Jesus and I'm, I'm saved and my sins are forgiven? That is happening all across the world right now. People are putting their faith and responding in Jesus. Do you see how good Jesus is? I invite you to reach out and receive him today by believing in your heart that he is the savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. He died for you and he rose from the dead and he's coming back. He's preparing a place for those who love him. That's the gospel. Reach out and take him today. And I know there's several members in our core group who are not here today or barely here because of what they've been going through. Sicknesses and battles and discouragement. Maybe you've been suffering silently. You haven't even told anybody yet what you're going through. I invite you right now. Talk it out with God. He loves you so much. 
you do not have to bear these burdens alone. In fact, he'd rather you give it to him. Maybe you need to go put your arm around somebody and pray with them. Ask how you can pray for them. This time is for you so that your joy may be full in Jesus. If you need to pray with a pastor, if you have questions about the gospel, I'm going to be in the back. would love to talk to you. would love to encourage you from the word of God and to hear his plan for your life. We'll give a, a few minutes for, for personal prayer here. Lord, be with us now.